0: Why should I leave? i of dying. You no reason for it. You better go sometimes. Hello, and welcome to the Decoding Death podcast. Thank you very much for listening today. Don't know how many of you have heard the legend behind the blues musician Robert Johnson. As a young man in the early 1900s, it is said that he took his guitar to the crossroads and met the devil. The devil tuned his guitar and gave it back to him, and he attained a virtuoso mastery over the instrument and became one of the greatest blues musicians in history. This story, this motif is not unique to Robert Johnson but has appeared in various forms throughout history and in different cultures. The crossroads is a significant, sacred place where one can meet both devils and angels. That is what we are going to be exploring today, because as it turns out, people have seen crossroads in near-death experiences. Now, if you're like me, you're asking yourself, What about the crossroads is so special that would make it a place that someone might see after death, or that legends would evolve about it? That is what we are going to explore today. To begin, we are going to be reading some near-death experiences i found which feature a crossroads. I was quite surprised how common an image it turned out to be. In order to keep us on track and to save some time, I am only going to be reading the relevant sections of the NDE account and not the full story. But our first NDE today is coming to us from a woman named Betty, who was thrown from a horse and had an experience in which she saw a crossroads. Quote I was on the road where I'd been thrown again. But I was walking, and the sky was getting dark. A friend of mine who was deceased was walking with me, talking about my life, and I knew that we were going together somewhere. The road became unfamiliar to me, and the landscape desolate and cold. A lady of unintelligible age that I did not recognize sat at a crossroads. She told me it wasn't my time and that I had things to do before I could go any further. My friend went past this woman and told me that when it was time, she would be waiting for me. This lady I understood to be some kind of gatekeeper or something. She was not impatient but was firm with me. Suddenly I was seeing myself on a bed, my parents, and medical personnel, and I could hear what was said. End quote. The next NDE I'm going to be reading is coming to us from a man named Hal, who accidentally cut himself and got an infection and had an NDE. On the second or third day, I felt a shift in consciousness. I was no longer uncomfortable or frightened. I was outside my body, like being several stories above my bed, but being able to see everything in the room crisply and clearly. I remember being like at a crossroads, yet I knew this was like a dream. That is, my own consciousness was providing an image for something I didn't quite understand. At this crossroads, I knew that I had to choose. To my right was death, and the solid sense of a very different world than I'd ever experienced. To my left was a road back to my body. I knew if I chose now, I would go wherever I chose, no doubt about it. I did not, however, know how to make that decision, not out of fear, but out of realizing I had no criteria for making such a judgment. End quote. Continuing on now, I'm going to be reading the NDE of a woman named Helen who, due to an illness or fainting episode, had an amazing experience which vividly depicts a crossroads. Quote, I felt myself being sucked away from my body. When I opened my eyes, I was in an amazing place with lots of greenery. There were trees, rolling hills, etc. I felt an overwhelming joy and freedom. I noticed a trail of sorts, sort of like a dirt track, so I started to follow it. I wasn't walking, it was more of a floating sensation. I was full of wonderment. Everything looked so amazing. It was like I was experiencing everything for the first time, as if I had never seen an old oak tree or green fields before. I came to a crossroads where an old man was waiting. He had a wizard-like appearance with a long beard but no hat, and he had an ordinary looking cane. There was a raven, crow-like bird sitting on a signpost. The signpost didn't seem to say anything, just pointed off in different directions. I said hello, although we didn't actually vocalize, just talked in thoughts. He told me to choose a path. One path went off towards some mountainous area, another down into a valley filled with forests. Another carried on over many rolling hills. I was about to choose the path to the valley and forests when I decided to turn around and see where I had come from. I saw myself lying on my bed with my friends around me. As soon as I saw myself, I got a big shock, and I started being sucked back into my body. End quote. The last thing that I wanted to read in regards to Crossroads appearing in NDEs was coming from a different cultural context and one that I had actually mentioned in the previous episode on the cultural differences of NDEs. It was in the paper I had read for that episode, which was called Psychophysiological and Cultural Correlates Undermining a Survivalist Interpretation of Near-Death Experiences. Quite the long title, but there was one section that I wanted to read which features a NDE from the Kalai people, and as you shall see, the image of the crossroad here appears in a vastly different cultural context. Quote, one Kalai Indy Ear reported walking through a flower field to a road that forked in two. In each fork of the road, a man was standing, trying to persuade the Indy Ear to come with him. The Indy Ear picked one of the forks at random, and he and his guide traveled to a village where they climbed a ladder going up into a house floating in midair. End quote. Okay, so I hope that suffices to show that this image of the crossroads is not an isolated incident. We have this particular image appearing in multiple NDEs, and even NDEs from different cultures. So it's not just a one-off type thing. And with that in mind, it's going to be my goal for the first part of this episode to demonstrate that the symbol of the crossroads is common to all mankind, and its meaning has a coherence even in different cultural contexts. In order to do this, we're going to be looking at a couple different academic sources that i found which describe particular deities associated with crossroads. And I think what we will see from that is that they all share a core of meaning, which gets expressed in different ways depending on the culture. So one of the first examples I found, the image of the crossroads and its association with death and with divinity, was its connection with a mysterious goddess known as Hecate. She's a Greek goddess, and I found a brief description of her in a book entitled The Encyclopedia of Greco-Roman Mythology by Mike Dixon Kennedy, it was published in 1998. Hecate, Greek, an extremely powerful ancient goddess whose origins lie in Asia Minor, possibly Thrace. A mysterious deity depicted as a triple goddess with three bodies and three heads. She was honored in heaven, on earth, and in the underworld and was held in esteem and awe by all the Olympian deities, including Zeus. Her triple aspect led to her being seen as a deity ruling over heaven as Semele, over earth as Artemis, and in Hades as the companion of Persephone. Originally a moon goddess, hence her assimilation with Semele and Artemis, Hecate was the patron of rich men, sailors, and flocks. The bestower of the wealth and blessings of daily life. She later came to be regarded, by the Hellenes in particular, as a dread divinity of the underworld. She resided in its deepest region, Tartarus, keeping company with the dead and presiding over witchcraft and the black arts. She became the patroness of witches and sorceresses and protectress of graveyards and crossroads, especially those between three roads. Some sources say that she was the daughter of Perseus and Asteria, whereas others give her a more divine status, saying that her parentage was Zeus and Hera, and that it was her theft of Hera's cosmetics that led to her being banished from Olympus. She helped Demeter search for Persephone, and when Persephone was found to be in the underworld, she descended to become her companion. Hecate was characteristically worshipped at gateways or the junction of three roads, where dogs, which were sacred to her, were offered in sacrifice. To the pre-Hellenic people, she represented the hope of an afterlife. The Hellenes were a little more clear-cut and simply regarded her as a dreadful, primeval witch. End quote. So there we have some background information as to who Hecate was and her association with the crossroads, that she would be worshipped there, that those places were sacred to her. A little bit about how the views on her changed with time. In pre-Hellenic times, she was a moon goddess and had positive associations with her of being the goddess of rich men and flocks and the nature's bounty, and over time got associated with The underworld and the uncanny and mystery and so took on more of a witch type image in the later greek thinking we're going to talk more about hecate later in the podcast and the meanings associated with her and their connection with the crossroads and how it came to be seen as both a positive and negative type of place but for right now i just want to emphasize that her configuration as a threefold goddess of being associated with heaven, earth, and the underworld also got projected onto this image of the crossroads, particularly as a point where three roads meet. So what that suggests is that symbolically the crossroads is a meeting point between the higher and the lower, the mundane and the sacred, all coming to one single point. Keep in mind here the first Indie we read, where Betty comes to a crossroads and meets a woman of unintelligible age, I believe is how she puts it. There's some resonance there with the figure of Hecate. Hecate was known as a psychopomp, which is a figure who escorts the souls of the living to the realm of the dead, particularly in her association with accompanying persephone from the world of the living down to hades on a yearly basis and that's something she shares in common with the next greek deity which we're going to read about hermes was known as the messenger of the gods but also in his own right he was the god of boundaries and of travelers he too was thought of as a psychopomp a deity who guides a soul into death, and thus he has some resonance with Hecate and also some association with the crossroads. To explore that connection, we are going to be reading a brief passage from the New LaRousse Encyclopedia of Mythology by Robert Graves, quote, Hermes was above all thought of as the god of travelers, whom he guided on their perilous ways. His images were placed where country roads branched and at crossroads and towns. It is without a doubt a natural extension of this role that Hermes was also charged with conducting the souls of the dead to the underworld. End quote. So naturally, these Greek figures of Hecate and Hermes were continued on into the Roman mythology and had different names and different divinities associated with them, but their basic ideas were continued and their association with Crossroads as well. And there was one other set of deities which I found in Roman mythology which came to be associated with Crossroads. And these were figures known as the Lares. I'm going to read now from the... Previous cited work, the Encyclopedia of Greco Roman Mythology. And this is just to continue our development, our amplification of what is being associated with the crossroads. What is the meaning that could be there? Quote Lares, Roman, the sons of Mercurius by the nymph Lara, born to her after she had been banished to the underworld. Her tongue having been torn out for betraying the extramarital intentions of Jupiter. Once considered as gods of cultivated land, they were worshipped by each household at crossroads where the boundaries of fields met. They were regarded as divine ancestors who watched benignly over each household, and as such, their worship, in which they were stylized as figurines, moved into the household to join that of the penates gods of the Threshold. They eventually came under Roman state control when they were regarded as spirits of the community. End quote. Okay, so there we have the Lares, which were the sons of Mercurius, which is the Roman version of Hermes. That might be an oversimplification, but as a general idea, I think that's fair to say. And like their progenitor, their father, they were associated with the crossroads and were worshipped at the points where fields met, where there are these boundaries between different people's lands. And eventually, it sounds as though that they came to be worshipped inside the household and looked over the land and the house. So they have a protective sort of aspect to them, which we can also see with the idea of Hermes, and to some degree with Hecate as well. And with these figures, you start to see that protective aspect which we encountered in the NDEs that we read, that there's that figure at the crossroads who is there to help the individual find their way to the afterlife, perhaps, in that psychopomp role that in the NDEs we had analogous figures, a wise old man at the crossroads, a woman of unintelligible age at the crossroads, as someone to help or guide, direct the person, the individual, further, or in the case of the NDEs we saw, to send them back. So this is not a modern phenomenon, this idea of a guide at the crossroads, and that being associated with meeting the divine and meeting death it's a very old idea. But just as we've talked about in previous episodes, any symbol that is truly a symbol is going to have a complex nature to it and contain opposites within it. For instance, on the one hand, you have Hecate as a figure who provided hope for an afterlife for the early Greeks and presumably guided them to it. And then as time went on with the later Greeks, she became this sort of underworld, dark figure, this uncanny witch with dreadful aspects and became associated with frightening and terrible things, evil and black magic sorceresses that sort of thing and so you have these dual aspects of this protective mother-like figure and then this dark witch-like figure all being associated with the crossroads naturally over time depending on the culture superstitions would arise with the crossroads as a place that you could meet a divine being a spirit It could be a good spirit, a helpful spirit, could be an evil spirit, could be the devil. When I was researching how these beliefs about the crossroads may have developed, I found a fascinating book titled Transylvanian Superstitions from the 19th Century. It was written by Emily Gerard and is basically a compilation of beliefs and superstitions of Romanian people in the 1800s. I found a very interesting passage, which I'm going to now read, having to do with summoning the devil at the crossroads. Quote, As a matter of course, such places as churchyards, gallow trees, and crossroads are to be avoided but even the left bank of a river may under circumstances become equally dangerous. A whirlwind always denotes that the devil is dancing with a witch, and whoever approaches too near to this dangerous circle may be carried off bodily, or at the very least will lose his head covering. But the Romanian does not always endeavor to keep the evil one at arm's length. Sometimes, on the contrary, he invokes the devil's assistance and enters into a regular compact with him. Supposing, for instance, that he wishes to insure a flock, garden or field against thieves, wild beasts or bad weather, the matter is very simple. He has only to repair to a crossroad, at the junction of which he takes up his stand, in the center of a circle he has traced on the ground. Here, after depositing a copper coin as payment, He summons the demon with the following words, Satan, I give thee over my flock, garden, or field, to keep, that thou mayest defend and protect it for me, and be my servant till this time has expired. He must, however, be careful to keep within the circle he has traced, until the devil, who may very likely have chosen to appear in the shape of a goat, crow, toad, or serpent, has completely disappeared. Otherwise the unfortunate wretch is irretrievably lost. He is equally sure to lose his soul if he dies before the time of the contract has elapsed. End quote. Hearing something like that for someone like me with a Judeo Christian Western background makes us uneasy to say the least. But I have read Fairy tales coming from Europe where one engages in a deal with the devil and does so honorably for a good cause and it works out. So we get into these gray areas where this symbol of the crossroads has a moral ambiguity. In this Romanian myth, you can summon the devil at the crossroads for a good cause and once he's completed his into the bargain, that's that. It's a deal done, and that's all there is to it. But as the author mentions, it's a dangerous activity that one may lose one's soul. But lest we start to think that this idea of meeting a god or a devil at the crossroads is strictly a Western phenomena. I have found a couple examples of this motif appearing in other cultures from around the world. For example, this is coming from the New LaRousse Encyclopedia of Mythology, as we've previously quoted, and is a brief excerpt on the Japanese Shinto gods which were associated with the crossroads and the road itself. Quote, The ancient texts mention several road gods, Chimata no Kami is the god of the crossroads, and is mentioned in one of the Norito. We must also note the god of innumerable roads, Yachimata Hiko, with whom goes a goddess of innumerable roads, Yachimato Hime, the god of the place not to be visited, Hunado, and also the god of the place not to be violated, Funado. These gods are named also kami, the gods who ward off misfortunes, or the ancestors of Rhodes, Dosogene. They protect mankind against the wicked gods of hell. It is to be noted that they have no sanctuaries, but twice a year, ceremonies were celebrated in their honor at the entrance to a town or at a crossroads. Offerings were made to them, and the ritual texts were read. End quote okay so even in that brief passage we can tell that crossroads is a numinous divine place in a culture vastly different from that of the west it's a place that has deity associated with it particularly the crossroads but also roads themselves and deities which serve certain functions for travelers on the roads According to the passage, these gods ward off misfortune and protect us from hell, and they are honored and worshipped at the entrance to a town or at a crossroads. The protective attributes of these Japanese deities definitely aligns well with the positive associations we've seen thus far of deities at the crossroads, protecting and shepherding souls, and travelers. To continue and expand upon that idea just a bit more, I found another cross-cultural example of a deity associated with the crossroads, this time coming to us from West Africa. It is a god belonging to the Yoruba people. His name is Eshu. I found this in a book called The Trickster in West Africa, A Study of Mythic Irony and Sacred Delight by Robert D. Pelton. This passage is actually going to make reference to Jung's work, with synchronicity, being a coincidence of an inner and outer phenomena, such as dreaming of something and then seeing it in real life the next day. Eshu's centrality in the daily life of the Yoruba cannot be missed. His shrines are found at the entrances of compounds, Eshuona, Eshu of the Way. At crossroads, Eshuarita, and in marketplaces, Eshuoja, and at the festival of the new year he is given the first sacrifice. Eshu can keep peace in the market and watch over the passageways and transition points in Yoruba life because his proper place is at the transcendent center of that life. In Jung's terms, Eshu is pure synchronicity, but a synchronicity that makes the times possible. Unlike the complementary potencies and potentialities of Olorun and Onile, Eshu is everything at once. However, his every-which-wayness mediates inclusiveness. He embraces everything human and everything necessary for human life. Thus, he is the master of the sacred language of Ifa, in which all human possibilities are contained. He destroys normal communication to bring men outside ordinary discourse, to speak a new word and to disclose a deeper grammar to them, and then to restore them to a conversation that speaks more accurately of Yoruba life. He is both old and young. He is the twin who has first seen the world's shape, and the one always traveling ahead to explore and reveal that shape. He is both small and large. He knows the innermost designs of things and their broadest scope and always ceaselessly he is transforming day into night right into wrong wrong into right ugliness into beauty and most of all dissolution rigidity and conflict themselves into new order the pattern he endlessly recreates is ordinary rather than elegant but in that ordinariness the yoruba recognized the very shape of their life together. End quote. So that description of Eshu and his characteristics, I think, equally apply to the crossroads and hence his association with them. That Eshu, as the author describes, is full of contradictory oppositions and because of those oppositions, he is constantly transforming. He's old and young, he is big and small, and he is this constant flow of back and forth between these opposites. The author mentions that he's everywhere at once, and yet he includes all things in him. It's a fascinating description, and though poetic, I think we can start to dig down deeper into what the symbolism of the crossroads might be, what is the meaning, and why would that apply to someone's experience of death. I think the best place to start in describing the meaning of the crossroads is the word liminal or liminality. It is neither here nor there. It is. A junction between two opposites. And so it partakes in both sides and yet is neither one nor the other. It's this in-betweenness. It's a liminal space. And that is something where things can cross over. Let's say from the afterlife to the normal world or vice versa. To explore the meaning of the crossroads and liminality, we are going to go back to where we first started in talking about the goddess Hecate. There is a wonderful article I found on the symbolism of the crossroads to the Greek and Romans, and it was written in 1991 by S.I. Johnston, simply entitled Crossroads, but It was a wonderful resource in trying to draw some of these ideas together and really get down into what makes the crossroads a sacred or spooky place. I'm going to read a few paragraphs from it now. Quote, Greek and Roman authors describe a variety of rituals or superstitions connected with crossroads. At the time of the new moon, suppers were taken to the images of Hecate found at crossroads. The corpses of those polluted by certain crimes were thrown onto the crossroads and stoned or burned. Polluted household refuse was left at crossroads. Magic was performed there. Although scholars of ancient religion have noted that these acts occur, None have identified the basic characteristic of crossroads from which they arise. As a result, in some cases, rituals and deities associated with crossroads have been linked with each other falsely and misunderstood. This brief review will show that the key to explaining rituals at crossroads, both as a group and individually, is remembering that crossroads are liminal points or transitional gaps between defined bounded areas, that is, between roads or between the areas of land that roads define. These rituals can be divided into two categories, both of which reflect their liminality. One, those in which an individual sought help and protection at an uncertain liminal point, and two, those in which the detachment of the liminal point was exploited. The Greeks, Romans, and many other ancient civilizations regarded both natural and man-made liminal points of all kinds, doors, gates, rivers, and frontiers, as well as crossroads, as uncertain places, requiring special rituals. Liminal points were regarded in this way for two reasons both of which are bound up inextricably in their liminality itself. First, liminal points often mark the beginning of an enterprise. The first step of any journey begins at a door, for instance. The Greeks and Romans, like many other ancient and some modern civilizations, attach special significance to such beginnings. Second. Because of their lack of association with either of two extremes, liminal points eluded categorization. A threshold was neither in nor out of the house. A crossroad was part of neither road A nor road B nor road C. On the one hand, liminal points and boundaries structured the world, preventing it from becoming an unintelligible chaos. But on the other hand, ironically, the liminal point or boundary itself, because it didn't belong to either of the two extremes it separated, was a sort of permanent chaos. Liminal points were detached from the defined units of man's organized world. Special actions were necessary during the passage through such points of uncertain dissociation. The liminal nature of the crossroads itself, then, which automatically made Crossroads Uneasy Places, necessitated the first category of rituals, protective rituals. This category includes practices involving Hecate, the goddess of Crossroads. The issue of Hecate's connection with Crossroads has been a confused one, which it is necessary to resolve before analyzing rituals associated with her. Previously, two mutually exclusive assumptions about Hecate's presence at Crossroads have been held. One proposes that Hecate dwelt at Crossroads because she was by nature a goddess of uncanny things, which were, in turn, by nature associated with the Crossroads. The other argues that Crossroads only became uncanny places because Hecate, an uncanny goddess, dwelt there the two proposals share the unproven assumption that Hecate was at heart a goddess of uncanny things. This assumption has presented difficulties for scholars attempting to explain situations in which she manifests no uncanny aspects at all, such as in the Theogony. Hecate's role as a goddess of crossroads actually is a single aspect of the broader role that she played from early times that of guiding individuals through liminal points and during transitions of many types. As a goddess who guided and guarded during transitions, Hecate would have protected men against uncanny ghosts because ghosts were imagined to gather at liminal points. Naturally, she eventually became associated ever more closely with the ghosts themselves. For a mistress who could keep them at bay, Could also lead them on, and in her wrathful, unsupplicated moments, give them free rein to wreak terror. It is a mistake, however, to emphasize this darker side of her nature to the exclusion of her protective characteristics. It may be useful to compare the double nature of Hecate's association with ghosts to that of Apollo's association with illness, his threatening role as the bringer of plague is not allowed to overwhelm his role as its averter. End quote. Okay. So I thought that was a wonderful addition to our understanding of Hecate, which is the figure with which we began talking about the symbolism of the crossroads in regards to death and what that might mean. That she was a protective goddess that through her association with the crossroads and its inherent symbolism of liminality, became associated with ghosts and uncanny things. The crossroads was a place that people sought protection and sought good fortune and made sacrifices for the beginning of a journey or or to continue on one's path that Travelers needed protection, but at the same time, the crossroads were places that corpses of criminals and those who committed suicide were disposed of there. Trash, polluted household refuse was was put. Things unwanted or stained by evil were put at crossroads. So it was the liminal nature of the crossroads itself that led to Hecate Going from a protective goddess to a triple goddess with an aspect of heaven and one of earth and one of the underworld, bringing together all of these opposites, just as the crossroads itself symbolizes. The crossroads are neither here nor there, they are betwixt and between. They are not a part of the lands which they separate though the lands or fields cannot exist without them. They both order the world and yet cannot take full part in it. So they are fundamentally uncertain, uncanny places. They are the boundaries of what is known and unknown. They represent potentiality that at the center you could go any direction to the four corners of the world. And yet, at that center, you are at none of those places. You are nowhere. So they bring together these extreme opposites of everywhere and nowhere, form and formlessness, order and chaos. I found a wonderful passage that reflects this idea in a book by the Historian of religion, Mercy Eliot. The book is called The Sacred and the Profane. And it is going to be discussing a pattern among civilizations of how they have structured their towns and villages, which unconsciously expresses the symbolism, this symbolism of the divine or the cosmos, as a place of a union of opposites being the center and structure of their world. Quote, it follows that every construction or fabrication has the cosmogony as a paradigmatic model. The creation of the world becomes the archetype of every creative human gesture, whatever its plane of reference may be. We have already seen that settling in a territory reiterates the cosmogony. Now that the cosmogonic value of the center has become clearer, we can still better understand why every human establishment repeats the creation of the world from a central point, the navel. Just as the universe unfolds from a center and stretches out toward the four cardinal points, the village comes into existence around an intersection. In Bali, as in some parts of Asia, When a new village is to be built, the people look for a natural intersection, where two roads cross at right angles. A square constructed from a central point is an image of the world. The division of the village into four sections, which incidentally implies a similar division of the community, corresponds to the division of the universe into four horizons. A space is often left empty in the middle of the village. There, the ceremonial house will later be built, with its roof symbolically representing heaven. In some cases, heaven is indicated by the top of a tree or by the image of a mountain. At the other end of the same perpendicular axis lies the world of the dead, symbolized by certain animals, snake, crocodile, etc or by ideograms expressing darkness. Quote. I thought that was a fascinating passage, a little wordy as Mercia Eliad often is, but one that is extremely meaningful and lends itself to the idea that the crossroads is the founding of any human civilization or town or city. Of course, we can't get too zealous about that. There are many cities and towns which are founded upon a a circular design radiating out from a center. That does seem to be universal, but the crossroads do have a fundamental aspect as intimating and symbolizing the center of the world, which is where many people have historically Chosen to build and start their lives, create a civilization, a village, a town, a city. As Eliad mentions, this center is a place that connects both heaven above and hell below. It brings in that tension of opposites, which is what we had alluded to earlier. To hold such extremes as heaven and hell together in the center of a crossroads makes it a place of tremendous energy and dynamism. That's something we mentioned when talking about Eshu, the African god associated with the crossroads. By dynamically switching from one opposite to the other, he was seen as a force of creativity. But to hold that kind of tension also makes the crossroads a place of suffering. And that is the exact same symbolism which underlies the cross of Christianity. Perhaps the idea there being that if one can hold the tension of those opposites, endure that suffering like Christ then one will be redeemed. As we start to come to the end of this episode and what the meaning of the crossroads is, I wanted to read an excerpt from a book entitled A Dictionary of Symbols by J.E. serlot because I felt it was an amazing way to sum up many of the ideas which we've been talking about in relations to the crossroads. Quote, The complex symbolism of the cross neither denies nor supplants the historical meaning in Christianity. But in addition to the realities of Christianity, there are two other essential factors. That of the symbolism of the cross as such, and that of the crucifixion or of suffering upon the cross. The cross is often represented in medieval allegory as a Y-shaped tree depicted with knots and even with branches, and sometimes with thorns. Like the Tree of Life, it stands for the world axis. Placed in the mystic center of the cosmos, it becomes the bridge or ladder by means of which the soul may reach God. There are even some versions which depict the cross with seven steps, comparable with the cosmic trees which symbolize the seven heavens. The cross, consequently, affirms the primary relationship between the two worlds of the celestial and the earthly. It stands for the conjunction of the opposites, wedding the spiritual or vertical principle with the principle of the world of phenomena, hence its significance as a symbol for agony, struggle, and martyrdom. Jung comments that in some traditions the cross is a symbol of fire and of the suffering of existence, and that this may be due to the fact that the two arms were associated with the kindling sticks which primitive man rubbed together to produce fire, and which he thought of as masculine and feminine. But the predominant meaning of the cross is that of conjunction." So as we've wandered our way through history and cultures and religions, I want to try to get us back to where we started our discussion today, and that is exploring the question of why someone would see a crossroads in a near-death experience. We read several NDEs at the beginning of the episode in which an individual found themselves at a crossroads and met a guide or an old man or a woman and had to choose which way to go. To answer why this particular image would appear in an NDE, I've tried to lay out different ways that the crossroads has impacted humanity over time, in different places and in different belief systems, and this general coherence of meaning which has evolved around it, that it is a place of liminality, It's neither here nor there it's a place where the opposites come together a sacred place where one can meet a god or a devil it's in between just as in a near-death experience one is in between life and death presumably so with all of that you can see why it would be a perfect way to encapsulate something that the experience is trying to express. As I often say, NDEs happen to the individual. The NDE autonomously chooses its own imagery and how it expresses itself. It is not up to the person having the experience to decide what they see. There is a living, organizing factor within us which clothes itself in images and symbols, and that is the basis of near-death experiences. I want to briefly read a sentence or two from one of the NDEs we started the episode with, because it explains exactly that process. This is from Hal's NDE, quote, I remember being like at a crossroads yet I knew this was like a dream. That is, my own consciousness was providing an image for something I didn't quite understand. End quote. That exact same process does not just occur during death, but also in dreams and our own waking life. The reason I do this podcast and explore these symbols at such depth It's because I believe if we pay attention to our dreams and other phenomena coming from within and recognize some of these symbols, it may give us a clue, give us something to go on, some basis for a belief in the afterlife. With your own personal experience in hand, you won't have to rely on a book. Or take it on faith what someone says happens to us after we die. Because you will have experienced it. And then one day if you find yourself standing in the middle of a crossroads, you'll know the right way to go. You go up. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Decoding Death. And thank you to those who decided to share their NDEs. And provide a basis for this exploration into the symbolism of the crossroads. It really has been a joy to put this together and I learned a lot along the way and I hope you all got something of value from it. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a five star review on whatever podcast platform you use or please share it with a friend that helps get the podcast out there and really excites me to continue doing them. There will be future episodes. Don't know what symbolism I will be looking into next in connection with NDEs, but there will be more to come. And until then, I hope you all stay happy, safe, and well. Bye.